Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Uh, hey, we want you to invite you to open up in your Bibles to the uh, book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. It's on page 1047. There's a Bible in the should be a Bible in the rack right in front of you. And uh, so as you're turning there, we, we want to share, every once in a while we just share a little, <clears throat> excuse me, a little family news. And so got actually three kind of some, some family news items we want to be sharing with you this morning. Hey, the first one is about our pastor, Jen, and his wife, June. Uh, pastor Jen, uh, for the last five, about almost six years now, has been our church plant pastor here and uh, he is the pastor at our Heart of Faith Church, and as many of you know, his wife June has had uh, cancer for about five years now, and has just been, um, just trusted Jesus all through this long battle, and she uh, is in hospice now, and she's at home, and um, she's probably going to be going home to be with the Lord relatively soon here, so we just want to encourage you to love on the Lau family, to pray for them to uh, just be lift, lifting them up before our, our faithful Lord. In fact, let's just take a time right now and do that together. Father, we, we love Jen and June and their boys, Jade and John, and they've just been such a, they are such a significant part of our family, your family and our family here. And it, over at Heart of Faith, you've just used them so cool in such wonderful ways. And we pray now that, Lord, your closeness would just be uh, palpable, that your presence uh, there at the Lau household just would be um, just so calming and so graceful and so loving for them. And, uh, Father, just take care of them as they walk this road. We know you will stay close to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just continue to love on them, drop them a note or whatever it is that you'd like to do. Um, so, second family news is a lot different than that, and that is that I'm a grandpa again. April and I are grandma and grandpa again. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is Holland Elizabeth, or Holly, I guess she'll be called. Uh, she was born Wednesday night to our daughter Katie, and so that makes uh, April and Gary very, very happy. And her two older brothers not quite as happy, uh, although they're delighted as well. So, really neat, great news for us. Thanks for your prayers and loving on us that way. Um, hey, and then the third bit of news is, is happy and sad news, and it's news you already know, and that is that uh, next Sunday will be uh, our pa- associate pastor Derek and Amy and um, Caitlin and uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin and Trevor and uh, Mia and Christopher uh, last Sunday with us here. And Derek's going to become the new lead pastor up at an evangelical free church up in Dallas, Oregon. And so we are really, really, really happy, and we're really, really, really sad. And so next Sunday, we have one service only, just one service next Sunday, 1035. So if you come at 9, that'll be great. You can help us get coffee ready, and, and that'd just be love that. Uh, but we're going to all gather in here at 1035 have a great morning of, of, some, of worship and the Word and, re, and just celebrating the Olsons and praying for them. 
And there'll be an opportunity for you, if you'd like, to share, uh, not for everyone, but to, to come up, some of you will be able to come up and share how God has worked through the Olsons in your life. So you might want to be thinking about that. And if you don't get a chance to come up here, then we just encourage you to do that on uh, following uh, <clears throat> the, our worship service. We're going to have lunch out on the patio. And for the whole church family, it's free. We just really love to have you come and join us for that. So that's next Sunday, uh, 1035, one service only. Uh, the Olsons are Ols- opportunities to really say uh, farewell and thank them and to pray for them next Sunday. Okay, so, so now we're going to move to some other family news, and that is in Luke chapter 15. And what we discovered uh, last week is that things are not always as they seem. Um, last Sunday, we began to take a journey here in Jesus' parable um, in Luke chapter 15. It's probably his second most famous parable in all of the Bible. And what we discovered is that things are not what they oftentimes at first glance look like. Um, and, and a couple of things that we unearthed last week that might have been new to you might have been a little bit of a twist. And, and the first one is that, that this is a story not just about one son. Most of the Bibles, that's the title, is, uh, mine has the title, The Parable of the Lost Son. But what we discovered is even though the, the, the lost son oftentimes get the inf- gets the infamous top billing, right, uh, this younger son, um, he's not the only son in the story. And he's not the only lost son in the story. This is a story about a father, and we're going to talk a lot more about that today and in weeks to come, who has two very lost sons. One of the sons, the younger son, knows how lost he is, right? He's like crazy lost. You can see how lost he is from a mile away. But the other son doesn't think he's lost and doesn't see himself as a rebel. And if you saw him, you might not immediately think that he's a rebel. But Jesus is teaching us that both sons are in rebellion and both sons are just as lost as they wanted. They've just gone different directions in their rebellion. And another thing that we learned that might have been new to some of you is that in verses 1 and 2 is that there's two groups of people who are gathered around to hear Jesus teach. And at first glance, we might think that this uh, parable, these parables, these three parables, are to the de-churched and the unchurched and to the the heck of a sermon guys in the crowd and the wary of church and done with church people, that they're the people who need to hear this, this sermon the most. Sometimes um, when, I preach on, uh, when I preach on husband's responsibilities, every husband in the church goes home and says, I have a side ache. And I say, why is that? He says, because my wife was poking me the whole sermon. And when I preach on women's responsibilities, women go home with a side ache as well because their husband, did you hear that? Wake up for that part. And, and I think our, our natural tendency is to think that this is a story that we need to elbow those that are on the fringe, those that are outsiders. Those, this, is a, this is a message for you. But Jesus' primary audience, we saw in the text last week, is not the unchurched or de-churched or wary of churched, but it's the church guys and the church gals. That that's who his message is all about. And, and I tell you, I take, find that very irritating, to be honest with you. Uh, and, but I think Jesus must be talking about other church people, not Paseo del Rey kind of church people. Right? Wrong. Uh, the third thing we discovered last week is, is that, our, that our struggle and our resistance 
in admitting that we are the rebellious older brother simply is a symptom of our rebelliousness. And I know in my own life, the more I kick against the thought that I'm this older brother, the more it reveals that that's exactly who I am. That that's part of the disease of um, this self-righteousness that older brothers like me and and like church people can uh, easily uh, fall into. And then the fourth thing that we learned last week is that the less our church looks like the automobile showroom where everything is beautiful and clean and they actually bring you coffee, the less we look like that as individuals and as a church, and the more we look like where they work on the cars back in the service bays, you know, that's where the real stuff happens, where it's okay to be messy. It's okay to um, have a, a, um, a tailpipe that's dragging. It's okay to, to have a transmission that, that, uh, that doesn't work all the time. Because that's all of us. And, and we get in that garage and we let Jesus do the work that he can do. And I think the, the less we're like a showroom individually and as a church, and the more we're like the mechanic area, the more those that are on the outside will see Jesus and want Jesus. The more we're like showroom Christians, the less people, because they'll, they'll go, that's not me, I'm not like that. The less people will see and want Jesus. So, so this morning what we're going to do, uh, we're going to move forward from those four points is kind of our basis of those four things that we, we learned and discovered that were maybe a little surprising to you. And we're going to get to know the two lost, rebellious sons better. And what we find might surprise you again, because things are not always as they seem. So here we are, Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Now, let me translate that where in quotes it says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Let me translate that into plain English of what this younger son is saying to his father. What he's saying to his father in English is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because that's when you get your inheritance, right? And this younger son um, um, uh, wished that his dad was dead, and since his dad had not yet died, he was tired of waiting for the inheritance, so he was in demanding his inheritance right now. And this would have absolutely scandalized the church people sitting around listening to this story. They would have gone, oh my gosh, did you hear what that son just said? Now remember, this is a parable. But Jesus is telling it as if it's real. And the audience is real. And they would have flipped their lids. They would say, no son of mine would ever speak to me like that. Do you hear what? It would be, there'd be just a whole lot of muttering going on around that circle. Right? A whole lot of murmuring. A whole lot of, did you hear what he said to us? They must have not sent him to the right Christian school as a young boy. They must not have the right version of the Bible for him. They must not have listened to the right music as they were growing up. This is, this is just, this is outrageous. Uh, there's a special place in hell deserved for boys like that. And what, what, we're, what we're hearing here, what we're seeing is that the younger son doesn't love his father. He loves his father's stuff. Now, we have four kids. And sometimes, I've teased about this before, and I'm most, mostly just teasing. Sometimes when they'd come up to me, the sweeter they were, what does it mean? 
They want something, right? And, and for a while there, some of the kids had forgotten my name was dad. And they would just say, hey, wallet, we'd like to. They thought that was my first name. And I'm, I'm exaggerating on that just a little bit. But you, you know what I mean. And that's what this son was, his whole life was about. I love what Tim Keller, um, pastor in New York City, says. He says that the younger son's relationship with his father had been the means to an end. Right? So he had... He had played at this relationship with his dad so that he could get stuff from his dad. And now he was weary of that relationship. And he said, Dad, you haven't died yet. So I'm just going to take, I'm just going to take what's mine and I'm demanding right here, right now, what I have earned, what my share of the estate is. Um, how many of you like John Gresham? Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty good author. If you haven't read him, he's a great read. He's a, I, call, I call John Gresham my vacation buddy. You know, you have vacation books, you know. Uh, John Gresham's one of my vac- You know, you don't have to think a lot. You just enjoy John Gresham. And one of, one of my, I think, my, I haven't read all of them, but one of my favorites is The Testament. And The Testament opens up with this squabbling, mean-spirited, World War, II, World War III starting family who are arguing about the incredibly huge inheritance that they will receive when their dad dies, that they, and not, not my sister, not my brother, that I deserve. And the book opens in this attorney's office where this, the dad's not even dead yet. And they're fighting like cats and dogs. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the Testament begins with this scene. And then the father shows up and he does the most outlandish, outrageous thing. And not one of them gets a penny from his estate. It's a good read. And those of you who have read it, remember that opening. It's the quirkiest, weirdest opening to a book that I think I've ever seen. And, and, and this is just, this is kind of human nature. I want what I think I deserve. No matter what you think you deserve, I want what I think I deserve. And in our story, likely decades before the father's death, there is this demand. You see it there in verse 12. Give me. It's an imperative. It's an order. So this, you, can, you can hear the muttering and the murmuring, can't you, of the church people. Did you just hear that? He's ordering his father around. Give me my gift. Now, when, 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 when it's a bratty five-year-old, you just say that's a five-year-old. But this son is 22 years old, 30 years old. I don't know how old he is, but it's not cute anymore, right? It's disrespectful and, and, and um, uh, disgraceful. And, and here's what's maybe what is even more surprising is the father's response. So he divided up his property between them. Oh, my goodness. Now, in that culture, I don't know about in this culture, what we can think about that, but in that culture, what you would expect is the, for the father to take a large stick to his son and beat him black and blue and run him out of the house and out of the property and out of the ranch and out of the, out of the, out of the county and make absolutely clear that this son knows that he, this son who wanted his dad dead is now dead to the father. You don't have the Bowman name anymore. You don't have, you don't have the Bowman house anymore. The inheritance you were going to get, you're not going to get anymore. And, and the title to this section would not say, 
would, it, or, or verse 11 would not say there was a man who had two sons. It would say there was a man who used to have two sons, but now only has one. What you'd expect is for this father to be through with his son. But what does the father do? What's the text tell us? He divided his property between them. He pours himself out for his son. Wow, this is, this is a story about a father, too, isn't it? It's not just a story about one lost son, and it's not just a story about two lost sons, but it's a story about two lost sons and their amazingly gracious father. I wonder if the title to this story ought to be The Gracious Father. And, and so this father, is he's a rancher or he's a farmer, and, he, and his wealth is his real estate. And the tradition was that the firstborn son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the, um, the, the second-born son would get one-third of the inheritance. And so because all of his money was tied up in real estate, the father, and I don't know, we don't know how this worked. Did the father sell everything? Because what does it say? He divided his property between them, between the two sons. So did he sell all of his property and give the younger son a third and then give the older son two-thirds and the older son bought back some of the property or they bought property somewhere else? And so apparently, as I understand it from the culture, the father now owns no property. It's now the property of the older sons. I'm not sure how it works, but that's what I've been led to understand and, and so think of the humiliation for the father. Everyone around that circle, the, all the church guys would have given a hearty amen to this father beating his kid out of the county. Say, I'm not giving you a thing. And for the father just to go on with his property and his ranching and his farming, and he just now has one son. But instead, the father pours himself out. And the humiliation this was to this father. And, and you, you need to realize that land in that day in particular, oh, my, uh, my uh, uncles are farmers in, in uh, South Dakota, outside of Pierre, South Dakota. That's where my father was born. And their property has been in their family for 100, 150, 200 years or something like that. It's right, on the, right along the river, and it's great property. And... Um, that's, that's Bowman Brothers' land there is what that is. And to sell that in that day in particular would be to sell part of yourself. And every time the father came along, walked along, and saw the property that his father and his father's father and his father's father had farmed and, and, and raised cattle on, there would be this deep sense of agony and this deep sense of pain. And his father didn't have to do this. But he paid the price for his son's sin. Because what his son's doing is obviously sinful, right? I mean, it's dirty, rotten, scoundrel kind of stuff. And it just, in one word, it's just sin. The father paid the price for his son's sin. And what's happening is that this, this younger son is spurring the father's love. The father just wants to love on these boys, on both of them. And, the, and, and this younger son is just turning his back and saying, Father, I don't want your love. I just want your stuff. 
And, 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 and the father's reaction could be so easily to, just to write the son off and just be done with the son and to just to, to, to forget about the son and to hold an offense and to keep a record and remember and, 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 just, and just fight against any, any inkling of affection. He's, I'm just done with you, son. And I think about when people hurt us and when people spur our, spurn our love and they... They, when, when a child that you've loved and you've poured your life into, and that child then grows, and as they become a teen or whatever, or, or young adult or an adult, they turn and they go a different way. And how, boy, I've, you know, as I've struggled in different ways with that, uh, boy, that desire to just to become angry, and after all I've done for you, and uh, boy, that just, that's, that's part of my sin nature. Or when um, somebody that you've trusted, somebody that you've loved, and they, um, they, they stab you in the back. They, they just fail you. They let you, you know, it could be a sister or a brother or a business associate or a friend. And, boy, when your love, when, when, you, when your love is spurned, boy, you, you want to take up an offense. Because there has been an offense, right? And you want to keep record of it, and you want to... Um, uh, remember it, and you, you want to mull it over and play it over and over again. But, but here, you know what the amazing thing we're going to see in weeks to come is that the, this father does the exact opposite of that. That, that verse at the end of verse uh, 12, he divided his property, is loaded, we're going to see. It, we're going to backload it in the weeks to come. Not only, not only does the father divide his property, but he nourishes his affection for his son. It doesn't diminish his affection for his son. He, he, he grows, he nourishes, he enhances his affection for his son. I need that inside of me. I need this father to live inside of me. I need him to to, to change the way I navigate relationships with people who have hurt me or let me down. And you do too. I had a longtime friend. He's not, he's not here at Paseo del Rey. Never has been. And uh, um, he, he really hurt me recently with something that he said. He said it to someone else and got, word got back to me. And it just really hurt me. And I don't know what to do with that. I've, I've met with him, and we've talked it through, but I still am wrestling with that. And as I've been reading through this story, I just, I've, been, I've been praying that the, the Lord would change that inside of me, slowly. And, and if I told you what this guy did, you would go, yeah, that's offensive. That's, that was wrong. That was... That was not a kind spirit that, that caused him to do that. And what I want to do is to be more like this father, have this father live inside of me so that I would, I would, um, I would want to become, so I would, be, I would want to become empathetic to my friend. What was it that caused him to do what he did? And I may never understand that completely, but I know without 
empathy, and I haven't had a lot of empathy toward him yet. I'm just being really vulnerable here, okay? Because I'm a mess. And you are too. We're a mess together. But I, I, I don't want to stay there, okay? Because Jesus wants to change me. And the Father wants to live inside me more powerfully so that I grow like this Father did in empathy. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come. This Father is, is just so empathetic toward this Son. Well, what was it that you were feeling? I, I, help me understand why you did this. Without a condemning, without a condi- In fact, this son, I, I, I know I'm cheating, but this son finally gets it, right? And he fashions this long um, confession, right? And he goes back to his father. Some of you have read ahead, I can tell. And you're not supposed to do that, remember? And he comes back to his father and he starts confessing And his father cuts him off. I want the full confession and more from my friend. Right? I want you to grovel. I want you to... Would you say that again? Louder. You know, that's that wicked sinfulness inside of me. And and I want more of the father. And then the father gives us new desires and new power to love those who hurt us. And all of us have people that have hurt us. Every single person here has people who have hurt us. How can we become more like the Father? It's by the Father living inside of us. Oh, this Father is awesome, isn't he? Okay. Well, we've heard about another son, haven't we? Well, let's meet him. Finally, we meet him down in verse 25. Um, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, normally, you know, I pull in the, I pull in the, the driveway at home and the garage door opens. And if I hear music and dancing, I'm thinking, this is going to be a good evening, you know. This is cool. Either the grandkids are over or April, you know, wants to dance or something. This is kind of a good thing. But when he comes and he hears this, da- this music and dancing, um, he's not quite as happy. Now, some time's gone on. That's what the word meanwhile or now. Some time has passed since uh, we, verse, verses 11 and 12. Uh, um, uh, some weeks, maybe some months. We don't know for sure. And we're going to circle back to that. We've got seven weeks together in this message, in this uh, parable. We'll come back to it. You can read it yourself. It's okay to read ahead. Sometime and some very painful days have gone on. And there has been a lot of muttering. There's been a lot of muttering out in the fields and around the house and um, uh, uh, back around behind the house. There's been a lot of muttering between people. And the muttering's been about this younger rascal brother, right? That's what they've been muttering about. Um, so verse, uh, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. And the servant said to the older brother, Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's back safe and sound. Well, man, that's to celebrate, right? And not if you're a mutterer, it's not to celebrate. Not if you're a church guy, that's not to celebrate. Because this rascal 
doesn't deserve anything, does he? He's been a, he's just been a, uh, uh, he's just taken advantage of his father, humiliated his father, impoverished his father. Uh, verse, um, verse 26, the, uh, verse 28, excuse me. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. He, the, the, the older brother is, he doesn't look a thing like his father, does he? He doesn't look a thing like his dad. And you can just see him, the veins on his neck are starting. When you get mad, uh, what do you look like? Um, I'd probably ask somebody that you live with better, better to ask them. I remember my dad, uh, when, he, when, when I was a kid, when he was mad, the way we could tell dad was mad was he was reading the Union Tribune. Back there, then it was a newspaper. Uh, had more than one page to each section, you know. And he would be reading the Union Tribune. And when he was mad, what he would do is he would snap the newspaper. When he would, like, turn the page, snap the newspaper. And that was his, his way of saying, stay away, right? So what, I don't know, what is it that you look like when you're mad? Uh, you know, you get kind of, so I can, I can imagine this son sulking. He's standing outside, and he's just sulking, and his lower lip, you know, is just kind of quivering down here. He's just sulking. I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw a guy. He doesn't go to this church, by the way. Uh, down in front of... Um, What's that down here at Terra Nova where they sell all the sheets and Bed Bath and Beyond, Bed Bath and Beyond? And there was a guy sitting out there. I was I was going to Sports Authority before it closed. I wasn't going to Bed Bath and Beyond, and and I pull into the parking lot and there was this guy sitting in his car, in the parking lot of Bed Bath and Beyond, and he had the ultimate pout on. I mean, his lip was just quivering. You could just see how mad the guy was, and I have an idea what he was mad about. <laughs> His wife was inside shopping. I don't think it was that they were out of bamboo sheets and he was, he was upset about that. But I think, because I've sulked in parking lots before. That, that's, I, there was a little identification, a little transference there. Maybe, maybe he was really happy. But, 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 but that's, you can just imagine that sulking of this older brother. He's outside and that lip is just quivering and he's just, he's, he is so angry. He looks so unlike his father. Now, there has been an offense, right? There has been a great offense against this family. But his father didn't take it up, but the younger son does. See, you don't have to take an offense up. Just because you've been offended, now don't say you haven't been offended, okay? Because I think that's a mistake people go, well, should I pretend I wasn't offended? No, no, you were offended, but you don't have to take the offense up. You don't have to bear hug it. You don't have to repeat it and retell it and relive it and and um, uh, mutter it and moan about it and muse about it and ruminate on it. You see... That's what allows that original sin, the original sin of this brother being such a rascal and being so angry at his dad. When we ruminate on people's sins against us, we keep their sin alive. We, we, we take their original sin and let it just keep living. Why would we do that? Well, it's fun to do that. That's why, right? Because you would know, oh, I'm so mad about that. I'm now, I'm not saying you get over it instantly. I am not saying that at all. But if we, if we hold on to people's sins against us and we take an offense and we bear hug like this older brother does, it just gives sin more power. Why would we do that? We're against sin last time I checked, right? 
And it's sin that Jesus died on the cross for. And yet sometimes, sometimes in our ruminations and our replaying and our reliving of someone's sins against us, we just let that sin, we just give that sin. We, we, we are doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on that sin, the very, very sin that hurt us so much. And what's interesting, too, is your body, scientifically this has been proven, that your body cannot tell the difference between when the offense is first happening and when you replay it in your brain. Because what happens when you replay it in your brain? You feel all the same things again, don't you? You can feel adrenaline start rushing because your body can't discriminate. Is it happening now or are you just replaying it? So let's stop giving, let's stop giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to someone's sin against us. Let's go to them and figure out and, and let's go to them with empathy. And Why did you... You just need to know that really hurt me, and I don't understand it, but I want to understand because I love you, and I want to increase my affection for you, not decrease my infection, affection for you. Now, that's a long road for some of us. I, I, I totally get it. It's not overnight. If it's overnight, it's probably not legitimate, right? But that needs to become our goal rather than this brother, however long it had been, it'll have been re- ruminating and mulling and musing and muttering it. And, and you know and I know how that happens in our lives. In verse 28, the older brother became angry and sulky and kvetching, and he refused to go in. He refused to go in. Let me, let me tell you, you know what that was in that culture? That was flipping his dad off in front of all of his friends. That's what it was. That was a, that was a, a, a premeditated maximization of humiliation to his dad. He knew exactly what that would say. Because the other people at the party go, hey, where's your older son? Hey, wh- hey, where's Johnny? Hey, where's Joshua? Where's, where's Mikey? I, wh- where is he? And the father would have to explain where he was. He was outside sulking. And that would have been a humiliation and an embarrassment to this father. And, and, and let me just tell you, here's a hint, here's a clue, and some of you have already gotten it. I'm going to email it to you right now. Not only did the father, not only did the younger son not love his father, the older son didn't either. The older son, just like the younger son, only loved what the father could give him. And what is he so ticked off about? Well, I want you to think about that. I'm not going to answer that question today, but it has something to do with a symbol in this story of dinner, of the fatted calf. That's just a symbol, right? I mean, it was a real fatted calf in the story, in the parrot makeup story, but it symbolizes something huge to this older brother. Dad, I don't love you. I love your stuff. And now I'm being cheated. I deserve, I, I deserve that fatted calf. And what, what this, now what this older son is, he deserves to be disowned. He, he's insulted his father, he's humiliated his father. This very unrebel-looking, look, but yet very rebelish son. How does the father respond to him? Just like he always responds, verse 28. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Man, if your son or if my son humiliated me so publicly like that, 
I think I'd leave him out there. I think I'd change the locks on the door. I think I'd take his, his invitation away to the dinner, to the party. But instead, the father, this father keeps doing this. He keeps pouring himself out. He keeps humbling himself and coming down. He keeps paying the price for the sins of his sons and his daughters. Oh, it sounds like our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? See, I think this is a this story that just has so many layers and so many beautiful colors and hues. And I think because it's so familiar to us, right? We just kind of read it over. And yet it's a story of this torrid love affair that God has for rebellious boys like me and rebellious girls like you and our grandkids and our parents and our grandparents. And he has this torrid love affair for Muslims and for transgender people and for rich people, the wealthiest, and for the poorest, and for every color, and every language, and every tribe. And what he wants to say to us is, come into the party. Come in and enjoy my fatherly love for you. And Paseo Dore, that's what we want to be about, isn't it? is to be more and more and more like this father who pours himself out and is not worried about his own image or how much he has or how much he doesn't have, but who gives his very best so that we too can come and be part of the party. Paseo Darei, as the church of Jesus Christ in Chula Vista, wherever you are, wherever you live, this is what Jesus wants you to be doing, is, is being like this father. Not being like the older brother, not being like the younger brother, but being like this father, wherever you live. And then on Sundays when we gather, how can we be more like this father? How can we pray more like this father must pray? So that people of all stripes and colors and economic situations and all the de-churched and the unchurched and the over-churched and the, whoever they are would come into the Father's house for the celebration that he has. Why don't you stand with me and I'm going to pray for us. Father, all of us are people who don't deserve your fatherly care. And some of us some of us look like we don't deserve your care, and others of us look like maybe we do deserve your care, but none of us do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only unique son that whoever should believe on him should not perish but have 
this everlasting invitation to this party of our loving Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you live in us and you are changing our motivations and you're changing our desires and you're changing our, you're giving us power to love um, people who have hurt us, people who have let us down and people who don't walk the same way we do. Father, help us and change us to love like you love that more and more would believe and come and be part of your party. Oh, loving, loving Father. And now in our response to your love to you, we're going to worship you. We're going to sing to you. We're going to praise you. And we're going to share in our offering and, and, and we give. We give generously out of response for how generous you have given to us. So we'll invite our ushers as we worship our good, good, good Father.